shop on eBay this holiday season to get more for your dough on stand mixers mm. or get more for your buck on this season's hottest tech and gaming gear. And on eBay, you can even get more <gasps> bling for less cha-ching on jewelry. You can get more because you save more on premium brands with eBay's exclusive deals. Get more when you get it on eBay. For the ones going above and beyond. For the ones reaching out, helping out, and lending a hand. For the ones people count on. You can count on Granger. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. Backed by 24-7 customer support and specialists to help with hard-to-find products. Because you've got everyone's back. We've got yours. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everybody, this is Sam with Pro Wrestling Overtime. And let's talk Impact Rebellion. It was their second pay-per-view of the year. Happened on April 25th, 2021, uh, which was Sunday. And it was on Fight TV. Started at 8 o'clock. And they kicked off the show with a match that I never believed that they would. I am very thankful that I tuned in early so that I got to watch it from the get-go. It was the X Division Championship with Ace Austin, Josh Alexander, and TJP. You guys who have listened to previous episodes, you know I love TJP. But you also know from listening to the prediction show that I thought Ace Austin was going to keep the belt. I thought they were going to give him a long title run. They had sent him out to do a lot of publicity. He had been interviewed for articles, for podcasts, for everything and anything. This match was so good. Um, I can't tell you how good it was. I wish I would have had a stopwatch and could have timed when the third person was laying around. Because I really don't think it was that much time. There were so much action. You had one-on-ones, but the third person was almost immediately getting up, climbing the ring post, the ropes, to do a move, or sliding back into the ring to break up a tie, or excuse me, break up a pin, or was trying a submission move. There were, I believe, I know of twice, but I think there were three times where all three men were either in or putting on a submission move or both. And unbelievable action. I love Josh Alexander and TJP wrestling each other. The grappling, the counter moves that they make, the counter submission moves that they make. TJP keeping going for the octopus. You know, Josh Alexander going over and over for the ankle lock. But Ace Austin was the perfect third man. He had Madman Fulton out there 
willing to hand him his player card, willing to grab people when they were getting ready to pin Austin to break up the pin, um, just being intimidating out there. But also, Austin was the perfect third man because he doesn't clear to climb the ropes and do the high-flying stuff to break up pins. Now, with him being the youngest, you also notice that he really needs to put the work in if he's going to take on Josh Alexander and TJP with making his moves and transitions smoother, gathering more counter moves, submission moves. Heck, he needs maybe another finisher or two. But you could tell he was the youngest and... Even though he is experienced, he was the most inexperienced in the ring just by his movements. They weren't nearly as smooth as what TJP and Josh Alexander's were. I was so excited that Josh Alexander won this. In the prediction show, I kind of discounted him. Why? Because... Impact Wrestling has always portrayed him more as a tag team wrestler with the North. And even in the North, Ethan Page just kind of overshadowed him because of his personality. However, Josh Alexander has always been a great professional wrestler. He has all the makings. But like Impact Wrestling, I discounted him. But I was happy when he won. I like all three of these guys. I can't wait for a rematch. I am absolutely going to be on the edge of my seat for it. I hope that they give him a long run. They need to quit ping-ponging the X-Division belt. If you want to ping-pong the World Championship belt right now... Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Have at it. But they don't need to be ping-ponging this one all the time. Now, the second match. Second match was Chris Saban, Eddie Edwards, Cowboy James Storm, Willie Mack versus Violent by Design, which was Diener, Joe During, Rhino, and supposed to be Eric Young. Now, if you have come up on the internet or even on Twitter, you probably had already heard about Eric Young's injury. And something had to be done. There was no way that on Sunday night... He was going to be able to wrestle. They think he's going to be out about four to six months. And everybody was trying to figure out who could be replacing him. Then, I don't know whether it was late Saturday night or early Sunday morning, it leaked. 
that it was going to be Big Cass, formerly of WWE and NXT, or if you've been watching him on the indie circuit, Cass XL. He, I guess about a year and a half ago, had a seizure at an indie show, really scared the wrestling community, and everybody has really been rooting for this guy to get his life straight. There have been all kinds of rumors of things he's done from assault, abuse, or drugs, alcohol. He has admitted that his life has been out of control. Everybody has wanted to see him get that turned around. I personally wanted to see him get that turned around. Did I care if he came back to wrestling? No. I just wanted to see him get his life straight. If wrestling helped him do that, then for that I'm thankful. And if he can keep his life straight and wrestle, that's great. I would love to see him. He has talent for a big man. And Impact Wrestling is probably perfect for him as far as having Tommy Dreamer there. Um, all the different legends from James Storm to Eric Young to people that Rich Juan who have seen life on the road, seen so many people go through what Big Cass, who is now called W. Morrissey, has been through. If at one instance, he falls off the wagon. I hope somebody is strong enough to jerk him out of pro wrestling and get him the help that he needs. That they don't use him. That they don't push him in pro wrestling to do anything and everything where he feels like he needs to abuse someone or assault someone or use drugs or alcohol or anything like that. He looked good in this match. Eric Young sitting at the top of the stage directing the show was extremely interesting. You guys know, I think, the world of Eddie Edwards and Chris Sabin. I personally just hate eight-man tag team matches. I can't stand them. Um, I don't like Joe Dory. I don't feel like... He does very many wrestling moves. I don't feel like he gets in the matches very much. Um, not 100% sure what he's even supposed to be doing. So this match, for me, was a little bit just of a come down match as far as Super excited about the X Division match. Really sat on the edge of my seat. Got into it. This match was more of a, okay, let's get settled down for the pay-per-view. Let's gather our thoughts. Let's, you know, watch this and see what's going to happen. But let's just calm down. Of course, Eric Young, Diener, Joe During, Rhino, and W. Morsey won this match. 
I don't know what very many of you expected. I know a lot of you were griping on Reddit and, and Twitter. There was no point to be griping. The babyface team, the good guy team, guys, they weren't going to win. Uh, they don't have the chemistry and the experience with each other. It showed, and it just, it just wasn't great. Third match, I called that there was a serious possibility of it being the match of the night if these two guys came to play and just hit it out of the park. And it was Matt Cardona versus Brian Myers. I legitimately said in the predictions that I thought Matt Cardona had to win. And by that I meant in order to continue the storyline, in order for them to go to a third match, a rubber match, and make it worth it, that Matt Cardona had to win to upset Brian Meyer with him taking the eye patch off and being cocky and just doing hillish things. Never did I expect Matt Cardona to sell as well as he did for Brian Myers. Brian Myers really put on a show as far as his wrestling technique, his heel technique, punishing Matt Cardona and winning the match. In the process, though, at the very, I don't know, within the last minute, minute and a half of the match, Brian Myers went for a move, and they showed it on replay, but you could see it live. As he flipped Matt Cardona, Matt Cardona landed extremely uh, weird. And I think that's the only way I can describe it. It wasn't that he landed wrong, although he may say that. It was that he landed weird differently. His knee buckled, and he immediately went down. And you could tell it wasn't a cell job. The pain was on his face. However, being the experienced wrestler that he is, he composed his face really quickly. And he didn't have to sell it because it was hurting. But he tried to continue the match, tried to give everything he had, and you have to give him big props for that. He was also unbelievable in this. I don't know whether the match was supposed to end at the time that it did. I don't know if they ever got everything in. I don't know whether Matt Cardona relayed this to the referee and to Brian Myers. Hey, we, I'm hurt. We need to stop this or exactly what was going on. It was in this match, though, I noticed the announcers 
were god-awful. I usually don't pay a lot of attention to D'Lo and Matt Stryker on regular Impact Wrestling TV. However, when you know that Mauro Ronaldo is coming out and calling the main event, and you know Tony Khan from AEW has brought Tony Schiavone with him, who are two of the best commentators around. You have a tendency to notice that D'Lo and Matt Stryker suck. They were calling people by the wrong names. At one point, they actually called Brian Myers Kurt Hawkins. And I granted, yes, he was known as that in the, the, you know, the WWE. This is your company. You're not someone filling in. This is actually who you call matches for throughout all the tapings. You don't know your own wrestler's name. Later in the match, they called, called Matt Cardona Zack Ryder. Same thing. It was downhill from this third match on. Now, did they mess up in the first two matches? I don't know. Um, the first match, the X Division match, I would, like I said, still my best to kind of tune them out. Um, wasn't really extremely listening to them. And in the second match, I found myself watching Eric Young a lot with him setting up near the ramp up at the stage entrance watching his reactions and watching and hearing what he was yelling again trying to to tune D'Lo and Matt Stryker out it was also in this match that I started noticing the bad camera work and I don't know that in this match I necessarily thought it was the cameraman as much as it was the person that was calling the camera shots. They were leaving it a second or two seconds too long on a particular camera, and the wrestlers would not be in the shot because they had been thrown somewhere or thrown over something or did a move. So instead of immediately switching to the camera, that was on the wrestlers. They would leave it a second or two too long. And I thought, well, you know, cameramen out of position a little bit. It's okay. Brian Myers wins this match, but I think the way he won it and with Cardona getting hurt and having issues, I think they can continue this storyline if they want to. Of course, everybody knows that they are having disagreements where they kind of want to get out of this story with each other. That's not really what they want to be involved in the whole time in Impact Wrestling. Do they want it to be a long-term storyline where two months from now they touch again? Yeah, probably. 
but I think they want to get out and wrestle some other people. Match four was the knockouts tag team titles. Kira Hogan and Tasha Steele versus Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering. Really impressed with Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering in this match. For the simple fact, Rachel Ellering, you know, the indie circuit hasn't been completely opened yet. So she hasn't been training and wrestling on the independent circuit. She's having to go to wrestling schools or academies or to friends' places that have gyms and have rings and having to train that way. She hasn't been, you know, cutting promos in front of an audience or on TV. I'm sure she's been practicing them. But for her to come out in basically her debut match and have the type of chemistry that she had with Jordan Grace and show off some of her moves, I thought were great. I always think Kara Hogan and Tasha Steele put on good matches. They do have extreme chemistry with each other. However, in this match, especially, if you were watching my Twitter, I got, I just got fed up. Because it was in this match that the announcers drove me crazy. Jazz, came out with Jordan Grace, Rachel Ellering, and at one point, I believe it was Matt Stryker, called Tasha Steele Jazz. And I thought, again, dude, everyone in this ring is an impact wrestler. You've been calling their matches for months now, and you don't know their names because let me in, let you in on a little secret if you don't watch Impact Wrestling. Tasha Steele does not look a thing like the Jazz. It's not like they look anything alike. Jazz is a Hall of Famer, legendary wrestler that has been around for years. She's bald. She is built. She's not in wrestling gear. Yet you confuse her with the smaller, younger, high flyer, Tasha Steele, who is in wrestling gear. Then you're seeing horrible camera work and I made the comment on Twitter I have seen parents at high school games football games basketball games baseball games and softball games track events even wrestling competitions stream their kids games on Facebook using their cell phone that get better angles cover the event more better, stay 
with the action better than these camera people. At one point in the match, and I forget which one it was, whether it was Kira or Tasha, climbs the ring ropes. The cameraman gets the picture of them on top and then drops the camera. Not drops it like in the floor. Just it goes down. You do not see the move. You don't see them landing. You don't see, you hear it. But you didn't see anything. And the only thing I can think of was he thought, I've got this shot and they're going to switch to a different camera so I can lower my camera. That's the only thing that I can think of. I don't know why he didn't continue filming the actual move, her landing, and what happened. It was horrible. Botches happened. At one point, Rachel Ellering had Fire and Flava in a corner, and she was going to hit them with a boot. The camera angle they chose... She missed them by a good foot and a half. Wasn't even close. But by using a different camera angle, it would have made it look close. They Their reactions would have made sense. But by staying with the camera person that they did, it was extremely obvious. She missed them by a good foot and a half. And therefore, their reactions looked stupid. Everybody was talking, though, about Tasha Steele's flip over the ropes. I truly believe she was supposed to land on the apron. I don't know really what happened. They showed it a couple different times. I watched it. uh, Somebody clipped it on YouTube. Somebody clipped it on Twitter. I think one of her feet slipped. She hit her back on the apron, and it was serious. Um, She was down for quite a while. I never did see anyone give the X, though. So I guess she was telling them she was okay. I don't know. However... I'm going to make the assumption, and that's all it is, and it may make an ass out of me, but I'm going to make the assumption she was supposed to land on the apron and haul off and kick Rachel Ellering, is what I'm going to assume. Because when Tasha Steele slipped, hit her back, on the apron and fell in the floor and was writhing in pain. Rachel Ellering took a dive and acted like she had been kicked. Maybe a fly hit her. I don't know. But she literally was holding on to the tag team rope and fell. And the camera showed it. And she fell near Tasha Steele. And immediately, because I'm a safety idiot, I thought, what if she would have landed closer? 
what if she actually would have landed on Tasha Steele and paralyzed her? Things happen in the wrestling ring. You have to adapt to them. Yes, she was probably supposed to land on that apron, kick Rachel Ellering in the head, and Rachel was supposed to land on, you know, outside the ring. you got to realize, Tasha is hurt. Don't take a dive. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't look good. It's a joke. You know, so... You stay up there, and hopefully Kira Hogan will hit you, or they'll throw Jack, or excuse me, they will throw Jordan Grace in you. They will do something, or it comes down to you may have to just change the match and call it on the fly. But Tasha was legitimately hurt. Um, I hope she's okay. I hope, you know, they x-rayed her, MRI'd her, and hopefully she will be fine. Again, you know, you had the announcers making stupid comments, correcting each other. One would call a move, and it was the move. It was D-Lo. It was the move that the wrestlers call it. It is their name for the move. And Matt Stryker would want to show how much knowledge he has and call it by its Japanese name. Or call it by its common name. It would be like me and you calling a match in the WWE and I say, and... Randy Orton hits the RKO from nowhere, and you say, that was the perfect cutter. Okay. You're calling it a cutter, which is what it is in the wrestling world. But from a fan's perspective, when Randy Orton does that, it's an RKO. Period. Just like when Sasha Banks hits her backbreaker book or her backstabber because Vince McMahon does not want to use code breaker. You hear it on WWE. Sasha Banks hits The backstabber. Oh no, you know. You flip it over to AEW, and it's Chris Jericho hits his code breaker. Same move. But you call it different things for different wrestlers. So having Matt Stryker interrupt, and he did it in every match, D'Lo calling it what that wrestler's move is, And he gives you the common name or what it's called in Japan or whatever was ridiculous. And this match, it literally drove me crazy. The botches, the camera work, and the announcers, I could not get into this match. I wanted to. I did think 
It was weird. Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering are the winners. They're the new tag team champs. The first time they team together. Neither one are long-time veterans of 10, 15 years. But somehow, they immediately formed a bond when Jazz picked Rachel Ellering to take her place. This is Rachel Ellering's also first debut match on Impact Wrestling, and no one knows her character. But they chose to make them the champions? Doesn't make sense. Unless Kira Hogan and Tasha Steele need some time off. They have some minor injuries. Unless Tasha Steele is seriously hurt. They called this on the fly. This just doesn't make sense. Match number five, I told you, definitely could have been the match of the night. And in my opinion, was. It was Sammy Callahan versus Trey McHale in a last man standing. I told you both men were going to bring it. Trey Miguel was absolutely fabulous. I enjoyed the story. I've enjoyed the story they've been telling for the last six weeks. But I definitely enjoyed tonight's story of the pay-per-view of Sammy trying to prove that he could break Trey Miguel because he doesn't have the passion to fight through it. And Trey Miguel telling the story of, yes, I do have the passion, and you are not going to keep me down and win. You are not going to make me quit. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you slam me into the bears. I don't care if you slam me into the equipment crates. I don't care if you put me through a table. And let's talk about the table spot. It wasn't that he actually put him through a table. Sammy Callahan set the table up upside down with the legs sticking up. And it is a credit to Trey Miguel's flexibility. That when Sammy did a suplex and Trey landed on the middle of the legs. Both legs are sticking up. You guys know that there is a pole that connects both of them that is horizontal. That is what Trey landed on. He did not actually land on one of the legs and become impaled, which is what one of the announcers said. His back was on the horizontal bar. Not saying it didn't hurt. Not saying that the back bend that Trey Miguel did as he was laying on that and standing on both of his feet, leaning back, was not amazing. And he stayed like that for a while. But to say he was impelled... Really, one of the legs went through his back, because that's what impelled means. Come on, guys. 
uh, this match, like I said, unbelievable. Does this end the story, though? Trey Miguel winning. You know, um, proving that he has the passion. Proving that he can stand up to Sammy Callahan. And if this story is ending, what's next? What do they actually do next? Because there wasn't a lead up. So part of me thinks this story is continuing some way, somehow. And that's fine with me, because like I said, they've been great for the last six weeks. But with Trey winning, Shouldn't he move on? I don't know. Number six was the Impact Tag Team Championship. Finn Juice versus the Good Brothers. Finn Juice put on a heck of a show. And you could tell they've been working in New Japan. And if you've watched New Japan, David Finley has been absolutely un. Believable in New Japan. Um, he has showed he he's been doing singles. He was actually in a singles tournament, and the moves he's been showing over there, the energy and the passion and the excitement, he has loved it. Um, but you could tell that they've actually been truly wrestling. Their moves were crisp, they were smooth, their tags were crisp, smooth. They did a lot of tag team combinations. The Good Brothers, you can tell, have been running back and forth to Impact, to AEW. They've been drinking. They've been brawling, not wrestling. And I feel sorry for Carl Anderson. He is a very good wrestler. You didn't see it. And I think that that is absolutely awful. Absolutely hated that the Good Brothers have come down to this. Carl Anderson, like I said, in New Japan, was a wrestler. He was someone that you could fear could win at any time. Luke Gallows was kind of his muscle come in, brawled, beat down people, and then would tag Carl Anderson in, and he could do different moves in order to get the win. To not see them doing that anymore, disappointing, real disappointing. And I can now see right this second why WWE didn't want to use them. They're getting an opportunity to tell different stories, being part of the lead on AEW, being with Kenny Omega, coming to Impact, and trying to be one of the top tag teams, and all of that. They're just not doing it. They don't look good. Finn Juice looked amazing, though. They carried that match. I was glad to see them win and keep the belts. Hated it, though. The announcers kept saying, is Finn Juice going to win and take the belts back to New Japan? I know they're New Japan wrestlers, 
they're also in impact. They're not taking the belts back to New Japan to go hang them on their walls. They're going to wrestle. They're not sitting in a mobile home drinking with Kenny Omega and doing a film night making crude comments. They're actually going to wrestle somewhere. That drove me crazy. But I was glad that Finjuice won. The knockout championship was next. And I can honestly say, had Sammy Callahan and Trey Miguel not been so good, and had the chemistry and the athleticism and the experience of Ace Austin versus Josh Alexander versus TJP not have been on the card, Deanna Perrazzo versus Tennille Dashwood would have been probably my favorite match of the night. I loved that Tennille Dashwood actually was aggressive. She was the wrestler I remember seeing on the independent circuit. She actually wrestled Deanna Parasso. She went after her. She did show that she has passion and desire. Yes, she's still playing to her gimmick, which is fine by me. I don't hate her gimmick. I think it's kind of cool of her wanting to be an Instagram influencer, model, uh, show, talk show host, all of that, being narcissistic, being, you know, selfish. That's fine with me. I just wanted to see her wrestle because she's a good wrestler. I had seen her before. Deanna Perrazzo, leaps and bounds, getting better and better and better every match. Loved that Caleb with a K was outside the ring interfering for Tennille, but that Deanna had Susan and Kimberly outside also interfering. And it was weird to have the announcers talk about them both being heels, them both cheating, them both having people outside the ring. They were basically saying this is a heel-on-heel match and we don't know who to root for. Okay, get with the program in your pre-meeting. Maybe you should have asked. Maybe one of you puts over Deanna and the other one puts over Tennille, and you don't do it in a typical heel versus babyface fashion. It was distracting for the match, them acting incredulous that Tennille would cheat. She's cheated since she got to impact and then turning around and 30 seconds later acting again incredulous that Deanna Perrazzo would cheat she's been cheating since she came to impact come on guys I almost feel that any wrestling fan 
could have called these matches way better than these two announcers and with a lot more enthusiasm with a lot more talking of the storyline that they were not only portraying in the ring but the one that they had built up to I watch Impact because somebody wrote me I was doing wrestling overtime if you look up wrestling overtime there are 300 episodes over there and I remember in May, someone wrote me and said, you really need to watch Impact. And I told them, hey, I have watched Impact before. I watched it during the whole run-up of Tessa and Brian Cage and her taking on Ace Austin, her taking on Sammy Callahan, her winning the belt, all of that. When she got fired, for the reason she got fired, and all of that happened, you know, to a point I kind of gave up. I know all that happened in June, but in May, this lady writes me and says, you're not doing any kinds of reviews on Impact. I think you really need to check out some of the talent. And I legitimately made an effort. I've been watching Impact ever since. Because of the talent, because of their storytelling. Their storytelling is right up there with AEW. Those two are probably the best storytellers in the business right now. And Impact, even though they don't do the long-term storylines that AEW does, some of the stories that Impact tells are very good in a short period of time. And for these wrestlers not to put over a lot of those stories and tell people about those stories and remind people of little things that have happened throughout these stories, these Easter eggs that they drop, it's really disheartening. There were points in time in this match I actually thought Dashwood was going to win. And that's what I love about wrestling. When someone can sell so good, like Deanna Perrazzo did, that I think she's actually going to lose. I thought she was going to win, but she's selling so well that I think she's going to lose. And then she would make her comeback. And Dashwood, Tennille Dashwood would sell so good that it would put Perazzo over. I think this was one of the best matches I've seen these two separately put on. This is probably the best chemistry match that I've seen since Deanna Perazzo has arrived. If you listen to the prediction show, you heard me talk about that it just didn't feel like Deanna Perrazzo had chemistry with a lot of her previous opponents. She didn't have a lot with Tennille Dashwood. It wasn't magic that you see when some wrestlers just hook up. But it was more chemistry than you usually see from Deanna Perrazzo's opponents. I loved at the end of it that... Taylor Wilde 
came out. Um, that excited me. I want to see, number one, who she picks. I know that she wants the championship, but I think she should have to go through some people to get there. I think maybe their first touch or their first action against each other might need to come at, at Slammiversary. But I don't know whether Impact will wait that long. The last match of the night, match number eight, was the main event. It was the AEW World Championship and the Impact Wrestling World Championship on the line, title versus title, Kenny Omega versus Rich Swan. Kenny Omega chose to come out first, which kind of shocked me. He brought the Good Brothers, which did not shock me. He came out to a different song, which was weird. He didn't have his sweepers. He almost wasn't playing the role of the cleaner, but like halfway through the match started to become the cleaner. Just a weird match on Kenny Omega's part. Brought back a lot of his other moves that he did in New Japan, but hasn't shown tremendously in AEW. The V-Trigger is supposed to be the setup move for the One-Winged Angel. When that happens, Tony Schiavone and JR both react like the V-Trigger is explosive, that it is devastating. It's been sold in Empire, or excuse me, in AEW by the best of the best as far as John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, um, he's taken on Adam Hangman Page. Um, I'm trying to think who else has sold that tremendously but it has been portrayed as devastating there have been times against some lesser opponents in AEW that he's ended the match with the V-Trigger not the one-winged angel however that's all they wanted to talk about the whole match how no one has ever kicked out of the one-winged angel well, guess what? John Moxley threw his leg up against the exploding barbed wire and, you know, got out of it. Kent, or, excuse me, Rich Swan sliding down his back is getting out of it. There have been other people in New Japan also get out of it. Give them credit. Him doing 10 15 V-triggers in this match and Rich Swan getting up from them, sliding out of the one-winged angel at one point, um, standing there, um, the V-trigger not knocking him down was ridiculous. Are you trying to tell me Rich Swan is better, can take a hit better, can is stronger, is more passionate, more driven than John Moxley? 
come on, guys. Let's rank some wrestlers and put Rich Juan exactly where he is. And he's not John Moxley. Yes, he may be a little bit more athletic, but he, no, he does not have that burning fire passion to stand up to a V-trigger 10 or 15 times. That's called no imagination that you can't think of other moves than the V-trigger. It's also called, hello, Rich Swan's not Superman. If you're going to have him take him 10 or 15 times, his mouth better be bleeding. His nose better be bleeding. He might, might as well have his uh, forehead cut open. Kenny's knee has got to be hurting. Sell the daggone thing. Having which swan stand there and wobble is not selling. Everyone in their brother knew Kenny Omega was going to win this. Why did this match have to go 25 minutes? With him doing the same stuff over and over and over. I thought he was the best bout machine. I thought he had all these moves. I thought he was the greatest wrestler in 10,000 years. Are you trying to make him Roman Reigns? He has two moves. Is that what we're saying? We're saying Kenny Omega has the V-trigger and he has the one-winged age. That's a lie. If you watched anything in New Japan, you know it's a lie. Who put that match together? It was awful. The announcers. Oh, he's doing the Phoenix Splash. Oh, 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 no. He turned that into a frog splash. Hello? The frog splash doesn't look anything like the Phoenix Splash. What are the announcers doing? Why are they not telling the story? Probably because there was not a good build for this. Rich Swan should have been on AEW. He should have been attacked over there. If he's going to bring out Eddie Edwards and Willie Mack, they should have went to AEW too. They should have been attacking them in the motor home with them drinking beer and being half drunk. Come on. Tell the story and then tell me the story in the ring. And tell me a good story in the ring. If Kenny Omega is the belt collector, if he is the best belt machine, he better have more than two moves, and he better not be doing the V-trigger 10 or 15 times. By the last five minutes of this match, I didn't care who won. I just wanted it to end. I knew Kenny Omega was supposed to win. I knew that's who they were going to pick. Everybody did. A 25-minute match where there's no swerve, where everybody knows what's going to win, is too long. Way too long. 
I hope they let Moose go next. Because I'm done with which one. He's too little. And Kenny Omega is a hundred times better than him. But he didn't show it at this pay-per-view. I hope Hangman Page gets Kenny Omega in AEW. Would I love to see Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega do the match that they did over in New Japan? Well, definitely. Would I love to see John Moxley come back and take that belt from John, or excuse me, Kenny Omega? Definitely. His baby's getting ready to be born. He needs to spend time with his family. I'll wait on John Moxley at Revolution. But come on, guys. Impact, you're better than this. Rich Swan, as much as I don't like you, you're better than this. And Kenny Omega, I don't know what story you're trying to tell. I don't think you know. I thought you were the cleaner. Be the cleaner. If Impact and AEW are have a partnership you're the same on both. If they're separate, then create two different characters like TJP does when he's in Impact and in MLW, or he's in Impact and he's in New Japan Strong. But they're not. They're in partnership. You're the same person. You're the same character. Act it. Be the cleaner in both, or don't be the cleaner at all. Be the belt collector in both, or don't be the belt collector at all. You've done more than two moves in AEW. You need to do two more than two moves in Impact Wrestling. Guys, if you disagree with me, or you want to want to agree with me and tell me something exciting or whatever, if the botched moves and camera angles and the announcers got on your nerves please write me tell me uh on instagram i am pro wrestling overtime on twitter pro overtime two o's pro overtime yes my dms are open on facebook the page is wrestling overtime the group is all pro wrestling all the time and if you want to email me, it is prowrestlingot at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you guys, and I'll be talking to you soon, and I'll see you down the road. Holidays are here, and so is fashionable fitness. Gift yourself a Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G, a phone that folds in half to literally stand on its own. Pair it with the Galaxy Watch 4 for ultimate wellness and wow factor. Check health stats, flex personal records. Over 90 activities can be tracked, like biking, swimming, golfing, and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with Carrier. Products sold separately. For the ones who are always in the know. For the ones who keep things running. For the innovators and the problem solvers. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. Experienced staff at local branches and free access to experts to help answer your toughest questions. So whatever challenge you face, 
We have the knowledge and products to help. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.